Hello, and thank you for listening to Girl Wonder. My name is Joe Rochelle, and I'm just your everyday girl talking about your favorite webtoons. This podcast episode is coming to you a few hours late. It's technically the wee hours of Wednesday morning and not Tuesday when I usually upload. I mean, it's after midnight right now, and I'm recording it, but I know that you guys will understand because I was in the car for over eight hours driving back from a very lovely trip from San Francisco, but I didn't want to delay this podcast. It was a great trip, but I knew that I was going to have to stay up a little late to get this episode done, and that's what I did, and it's okay because I love love webtoons and I am in a good place right now where this is kind of self-care for me and it was a good week for webtoons so I really want to talk about them before I go to bed. So the theme we are going to explore this week is trust. In this episode we'll discuss how characters trusting each other or not trusting each other affected the latest episodes of the following webtoons. Lore Olympus, My Dear Cold-Blooded King, Siren's Lament, Edith, and Age Matters. In the description box of this podcast, I give you the start times for when I talk about each webtoon, and there is a short musical interlude between each one, so feel free to skip around and listen to the discussions of the webtoons that you love the most. And before we start, our top cities that have listened to this podcast the most in the last seven days are Toledo, Seattle, Chicago, Grandview, Butler, Houston, and New York. Also, I want to send out a shout out to Warsaw and Poland, who had a number of listens as well in the past seven days. Thank you guys so much for listening. All right, let's get into it. First up is Lore Olympus, episode 66. We start off right away with a bit of information, a disclaimer that says this episode of Lore Olympus contains themes of sexual trauma that may be upsetting for some readers. I, for one, really appreciate notes like these before an intense episode. I mean, Stranger Things Season 3 just dropped and they even had a little note for people who have photosensitivity and issues with strobe lights because that's something they do in all of their flashbacks in season three. I appreciate a disclaimer. I appreciate a note before an episode. And no matter what, whether this particular episode of Laura Olympus was triggering for you or not, it, it gives you a chance to prepare your heart. And that's something I always appreciate. And, and it was just a very thoughtful thing to put before an episode. So was anyone else's heart broken when Eros realized Persephone wasn't a virgin anymore, but hadn't yet realized that it wasn't a consensual thing. I mean, Eros was excited for her and supportive of her, and then he learned the truth. So one interesting bit of info is that Eros and his mother, Aphrodite, can control the sexual desires of anyone who is not a virgin. I didn't know that. That was a piece of information that may not be like a part of the story right now, like a huge part of the story right now, but I do feel like it will come up later, especially with Aphrodite. It's just a theory, but it feels like that's laying the groundwork for something that might come up a little bit later. So let's talk about trust, our theme of the week. There is so much trust, understanding, and a lack of judgment in the relationship between Eros and Persephone in this episode. It's just 
it's perfection. Perfection in a tough time, in a trying conversation, but it is really well written. I like how Persephone can just come out and say, yeah, it was Apollo. You know, she can just say that to Eros. I like how she can just show him what went down instead of having to tell him word by word. I like how he completely empathized and cried for her and cried with her the minute he knew something was wrong something was off and it wasn't like a cheerful wonderful thing you know you know the minute he realized something was wrong he empathized with her right away I also like how he was able to intertwine fingers with her and just automatically understand it all without Persephone having to rehash and tell the entire story I also like how he told her very firmly but you know, in a friend-like way that it wasn't consent. You know, he affirmed her in that moment. Even though we could say that this is a sad chapter, and it is, it's a sad chapter, there's a lot to like and even admire about it. Let me explain. If this makes sense, the best line of the episode was when Arrow said, you don't just get to nag someone into having sex with you. That is not how consent works. Just major props to the author, Rachel. This is absolutely right. And there's a lot of media out there right now that doesn't make that clear. So I appreciate it in this webtoon where people can relate and, you know, find solace, find even some types of like healing from seeing Persephone go through it. I just really appreciate that. And even though Persephone is not ready right now to tell the world about what Apollo did, you know, Eros said, you should tell Zeus, you should tell Artemis, like everyone should know Apollo shouldn't get away with it. But then understandably so, I appreciate Eros recommending that she see a therapist. That's his bottom line suggestion for her. That's what she should do is see a therapist because she needs to take care of her brain. You guys, we all need to take care of our brain. It's so important. So Firefly Flying By commented on this webtoon and said, it feels so good to read something that deals with these topics in such a gracious way. Also, Persephone is finally getting the comfort she deserves. I absolutely agree with this comment and I'm I'm really happy that this person wrote it because it's true. We've been watching Persephone grapple with what happened all this time, all alone. And now there's a whole person out there, a whole other God who understands exactly what she's going through. And they can be a comfort for each other, which I think is pretty special. Eve Isabella commented and said, Thank you, Rachel, for writing about this in such a respectful way. So many fictional stories use situations of rape to shock the audience. And I'm honestly so, so glad that such an important part of Persephone's story is being handled so well and respectfully. Eros is exactly as respectful and calm as someone in his position should be. It's also so amazing to see such a well-written exploration into the complex feelings victims can have around sexual assault. Thanks, Rachel. I mean, wow, it's true. And this is some tough stuff. Like these are tough topics to grapple with. And I think it was done beautifully. Everyone said a gracious way, a respectful way. Um, there's a lot to enjoy about this episode that hits really hard and um, though I'm nervous, I'm really excited to see what takes place in next week's update. 
Next up is My Dear Cold-Blooded King, episode 106. Ryusaki and Mei have finally had their moment. They've confessed how they feel about each other, and now they're making out. They're kissing. They are kissing. Um, This has been a long-awaited moment by so many fans, and it doesn't disappoint at all. There's so much blushing, so much passion, Isn't it nice to be in love, you guys? That's how I felt when I read it. Like, isn't it nice to know that someone likes you back and that it's not unrequited? And even if you haven't experienced that moment, trust me, it was a long time before I did. It's just, um, it's special and it's love. It's so fun. And so it was a really well-drawn, romantic episode. But let's stay on topic for a second. Our theme this week is trust. May is comfortable around Ryusaki. Comfortable enough to say things like, this time we are going to court like a proper couple. And of course, this time means that last time with Katsu wasn't so proper, but she's going to fix that this time, right? And what's nice about it is that Ryusaki listens to her. Sure, he tests the boundaries in a joking kind of way, but ultimately, when it comes down to it, he respects her. He respects May, and he trusts her, and he listens to what she has to say. I mean, he even trusts her enough to share some family history details later, like his origin story, and the fact that he is the son of the blood king and a concubine, and Prince Osamu isn't the biological son of the blood king either. And uh, it's just nice to know that they're courting, <laughs> courting for real. Ryuzaki is able to share these royal secrets with her because he's serious about her and he really, really, really trusts May. I can see it. You know, it jumps off of the screen, you know, when you're reading the comic. What I like about her trusting relationship is that May, she can say no at any time. And Ryusaki will be like, oh, okay. And he'll make a pouty face and he'll be sad, but that's it. You know, her no means no. He gets her. And more importantly, he does listen to her. Now, I have to come clean for a quick second. And for some of you, it's probably not a surprise because you've been listening to this podcast for a long time, but I used to really ship Mei and Katsu together, especially after they kissed. I was sure that this was the ship of the webtoon, and I didn't even think like, oh, Ryusaki's on the cover of this entire webtoon. Oh, well, her and Katsu forever, but now I feel like I was wrong. And that's totally okay. I wish more of us could admit and realize, okay, we're wrong about this character because the character is literally choosing someone else in front of our eyes. And if your ship sinks, sometimes you can get on a life vest, swim in the water for a while, be in denial for a second, and then jump onto another ship. And that is what I have done. I mean, that's the fun of reading webtoons. I see now how You know, Katsu never wanted her to fight. He didn't want to put her in danger, but he also didn't really truly in his heart believe she was capable to an extent, right? Like Ryusaki's not like that. There's more trust in the relationship with Mei and Ryusaki. And I know everyone can agree with that. 
And I think that's why I changed ships a bit and adjusted course. And it's okay to do that, you guys. One thing I like to do is just make sure the main character is happy and doing something that's healthy for her. And if May is happy, I'm happy. And she seems very happy right now as of the last chapter of My Dear Cold-Blooded King. Froglegs commented on the webtoon and said, You know, I have never been so genuinely satisfied with a ship change as I am with this one. And that pretty much sums up how I feel too. So I'm really excited to see where is this going to go now that it looks like Ryusaki has a secret to share with May about her own family. So we'll see what happens next week. I'm sitting on the edge of my seat. Siren's Lament, episode 142. Feelings are getting intense in this webtoon, and that's all I can say about that. I mean, Siren Sean definitely has feelings for Lyra, and this new Krim-like Ian definitely has feelings for Lyra, even if he's trying to bring her to the lighthouse where Amilla, the love of his past, will awaken. Here's why I think Siren Sean has caught some feelings because he had this moment where Lyra was lost in thought and he looked at her and said out loud, you know, when you scrunch your eyebrows and press your lips together slightly, dot, dot, dot. And then he was like, never mind, I'm not constantly looking at you. I, you know, take back everything I just said just now. But we heard you, Siren Sean. We heard you. And I mean, you have feelings for her. You have to admit it. And on the other hand, I think Ian still has feelings because he immediately butts in and says, oh, of course you would know a lot about pressing lips together, Sean. Ian is still salty about Sean and Lyra kissing to split the siren curse between the two of them so they could go and find Ian in the first place. He's still super salty about it. He's brought it up over the last two to three episodes just saying, you know what? You guys kissed. I know that you kissed and what's going on there. So it's pretty clear, Ian, that not only does he have feelings for Lyra, but he's really, really hopeful that Lyra is a Milla, which shows you that like, no matter what, this person in this package is someone he's interested in very, very much. And so I feel like the biggest event that happened this episode is that Lyra revealed to Ian and Sean that her grandmother, you know, they had a fight and her grandmother told her that her mother was a siren who died giving birth to her. I am still curious. You know, we saw that pregnant siren. I made a podcast episode all about it. If you want to go all the way back, I think it's somewhere in like issue five, somewhere around there. There's a picture of a pregnant siren and you get the drift. How did she give birth? I don't know, but I know that our author, our dear author knows, and I'm I'm waiting. I can't wait. I know that she's probably planned this out from a long time you know, for a long time. But yeah, you know, her mom was a siren who died giving birth to her. And this shocks Ian. It makes him think that Amilla could be or could have been Lyra's mom, which is my current theory. But then he brushes that aside. and's like, no, 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 no. Lyra is the woman of my dreams who is Amilla. That's where he's stuck right now. He could be right, you know, but he also could be wrong, which is what my theory is. I think Amilla is Lyra's mom, but... 
I could see myself being wrong and enjoying, you know, the plot twists that reveal that too. But that's just my theory for right now. And some of you who have fast pass might be like laughing at me because you might know the truth already. But that's my theory for right now. It's that Lyra is the daughter of Amilla, the one that Ian loves, but she's not Amilla. And just touching on our theme for a quick second, can Ian trust Siren, Sean, and Lyra enough to just mention where what he's been through and what the Poseidon has done to him? Like, can he just tell them he got his memories back? And hey, by the way, the Poseidon is Aaliyah, Sean's ex-girlfriend, and, you know, things are cray under the sea, but we're going to figure it all out together. Can Ian trust his friends enough to share that or is he going to wait all the way until they get to the lighthouse and possibly have that be the start of like a new fight between them? I just feel like the longer he waits, the more of a rift grows between the three of them as friends because that's what they were at the Carnation Flower Shop. So I'm a little worried about that. But at the very end of the episode, the Siren Hunter's boat, you know, it goes by and all the sirens are Sean our Lyra and our Ian look up and see it and they recognize it. Sean points it out as a Siren Hunter's boat. And on it is Peel. I've really missed her and she's back and she's in the bathroom and she has a pair of scissors. And did anyone gasp when they saw Peel's long, beautiful locks on the floor? But then to see her new, beautiful hairstyle that's a lot shorter and very, very curly and cute. I thought that was a good moment. Um... She's ready to find her Tua. She literally says, my Tua, who she believes is dead. She's just thinking the worst right now. So Lady Elf commented on this webtoon and said, but here I am, that look on her face, I am dead. That is a reference to Lyra saying, but here I am, after her grandmother told her, don't pursue the siren stuff. Don't go in that water. Don't be a siren. She's like, well, I'm here and I'm doing all the things my grandma told me not to do. Hilarious moment. Um, Instant miso soup is so good at drawing these moments. That facial expression was perfect. And I laughed out loud. Fried Potato 22 commented and said, I like that she said my Tua. I do too. You can't help but ship a ship as while you're shipping the other ships, right? You guys, like, are you, you can be on the Tua and Peel ship and also be on the Ian and Lyra ship or the Sean and Lyra ship. You know, I, I, I find myself being on multiple ships in one webtoon at a time. So hopefully there's a reunion between Tua, who we know is at the flower shop with Corey. Hopefully there's a reunion coming up in next week's update. Edith, episode 24. In my honest opinion, Edith and Philip have strong feelings for each other, but they both have these little subtle self-sabotage mechanisms in place that kind of prevent them from being happy with each other right now. Like fully happy, fully comfortable. And I have to applaud the author because this feels so realistic. I know I say that every time I talk about Edith, but it's true. Like the moment when Philip asks Edith if um, she was looking up information about him while he was out of the room and she's totally guilty. Yes, she was. But um was I happy when he brought it up and kind of reprimanded her for it? No, I was not. 
These two, they drive me crazy, you guys. I look forward to every conversation they have together, but Philip also said in that moment that it pissed him off. He'd rather that she was upfront with him and just asked about his career and his life instead of looking for answers online when he's kind of out of the room. I actually think, yeah, that's a fair point for Philip to make, but the way he made it, the way he approached it, the way he said it, gave me pause. I was like, I hope he doesn't really reprimand Edith right now. Um, I mean, do Philip and Edith have a trust-filled conversation ever? Like, when they're trying to hash this out, they don't really do that. I don't know about that. Edith holds back a lot because she wants him to like her, and that's super relatable. Like I said, realistic. And he says, you're my number one mistress. Be happy. He's deflecting. Um, I'm doing like a psychoanalysis of these characters just based on my opinion, you guys. I mean, how is something? how is someone supposed to respond to that, Philip? How? When you say, you're my number one mistress, be happy. I know it's a joke, but also like, are you serious? I feel like that's going through Edith's mind. And I think the most honest moment was when Edith said, I just want to talk to each other for a change. You know, she just wanted to be deep with him. And that means she really wants to get to know him. And she asks why he became a model. They have a trust-filled moment where they're pretty vulnerable with each other. Philip then admits to envying Edith, which I wish you would have talked about more because he's like, I just I envy you. And this could have become a very deep conversation where they talked into the night. They talked all the way until the sun came up in the morning. But instead, they ended up leaning on the physical relationship that they've already established instead of having this deep, trusting conversation, which I don't think they've had before. Um, what I like about Edith is that there's so much uncertainty. The next morning, she reflects on the night before and she just wonders, like, is what we're doing right now enough to fulfill us? That is a deep question. And I know the author is like weaving a very complex story once I saw that. I mean, the answer is probably no, they're not doing everything to fulfill them. We need like deep conversations with people, you know, to fulfill us too, um, but like you can't really judge Edith and you can't judge Philip either. I know a lot of people in the comments are like, well, Edith is great, but Philip's terrible. But I think they're both flawed and that's what makes them special, right? We're all flawed. I don't know a perfect human right now. And so we end the episode with Jack calling Edith's phone and Philip reaching to do what, Philip? What are you doing? It's a cliffhanger. I mean, is he going to end the call before it even starts or is he gonna answer Edith's phone and talk to Jack I mean Jack's name in Edith's phone has a heart emoji and I think that's what gives Philip pause and I like that this webtoon has a lot of detail so you can read into things or not read into things really heavily Frasher commented on this episode and said am I the only one still unsure about Philip and then they posted an upside down smiley face. That is how I feel. I'm an upside down smiley face. I'm smiling because I'm enjoying this webtoon. I'm enjoying the relationship between Edith and Philip. I promise you, during the Discover section, I was hardcore Philip and Edith. And now my face is upside down and still smiling because I still like them, but I'm also like, 
Ooh, sometimes he gives me pause. When he kind of reprimanded her this episode, he gave me pause. But I, I, I can't help but love this deeply intricate character. Do you guys do you guys agree with me? Do you know what I'm talking about with Philip? He's so complex. I know you guys know because on Instagram, I posted a picture of Edith and Philip and I said, "Do you ship them?" and I got the most complex like the best answers I've ever gotten when I posted something and I loved reading them so yes we're all on the same page it's hella complicated and I'm just really excited to see what happens next week is Jack really interested in her or does he just feel bad I mean I don't know we'll find out last but certainly not least is age matters episode 61 Oh man, we're talking about trust this week, and it seems perfect that we end on Daniel and Rose in Age Matters. Sometimes trust between two people, especially two people that I ship together, means just being yourself. Being yourself. Raise your hand if you think Daniel is completely himself with Drunk Rose during this episode. I do. My hand is up in the air in my living room all alone right now. He is so comfortable and so himself this episode that I can't help but think that he feels comfortable with Rose around. It's more than that. He cares for her. You cannot deny that he cares for her. The facts are there. He was really worried about her and relieved that she was okay. He was concerned about every little thing while she was drunk and in this state. I mean, the man carried her on his back, up the stairs, in his own apartment. Who does that for their assistant, huh? Who? Who would actually go to such lengths? And Daniel's doing this, and I don't know if it's dawned on him. I doubt that it's dawned on him. He seems a little dense when it comes to this kind of romantic stuff, but I mean, it's pretty clear, right, that he has... Some deep, intense feelings for Rose. If they're not romantic at this point, then they're definitely like, he sees her as his friend or even as family at this point. Someone that you're going to carry up the stairs, you know, and take care of and run and say it's an emergency when they need you. Um, Yeah, that's care. That's intense care. So he brought her to his own apartment instead of hers because he was worried. And he brought her water. When she got thirsty, there were so many good jokes in this episode, you guys. And he literally brings the cup of water up to her mouth. Did you see that panel where he basically helps her drink it? And then he says, I don't even know who the boss is anymore. Daniel, I don't know either, man. I don't know either. Who is the boss? Who is the assistant? This is such a different Daniel. Such a different Daniel than who we were introduced to at the beginning of this webtoon. So, Props to the author on the character development here because it's strong. This is the second time he's taking care of Rose while she's in this inebriated state. And he lets her hold his arm and pretend he's a churro. I love that. That churro moment and all the little churro jokes were really funny. Maru04 commented and said, Just love how Daniel just keeps taking care of Rose whenever she gets drunk. Like I said, it's a pattern. 
it's something that he is used to doing. He's like her emergency contact, you know? She treated him like that too when she picked up her phone and called him and was like, this is my friend I'm going to call. He can help me when I can't help myself. Um, so I am eager to find out now that they're kind of in a standoff where she's embarrassed that she spent the night, you know, sleeping at his place and being drunk and not clearly remembering what went down, what's going to happen next. And now I would like to move on to our listener response segment. Last week, I asked, what makes you decide to ship a couple? And you guys had some great answers for me. On Instagram, on the gram, Kimmy DeJesus said, if it seems like they have some type of chemistry between them and if the lovers treat each other well. And Callie Brienne commented and said, overall, chemistry for sure. Sometimes it will be with the character I personally like more if it's a love triangle and nothing is clear cut. Allie Morrison III said, Usually how they interact with the main characters slash protagonists and the kind of chemistry they have. Aldana Filardi said, chemistry and dynamic. They have to be better together, but they have to be able to be alone and independent. And I just want to butt in and say, yes, girl, they do have to be independent and okay with being alone. And that goes for kind of all of us. You, you know, like you want to be okay with who you are before you can combine yourself with another person, especially for all eternity. Like a lot of these webtoon couples end up together forever. So you better be comfortable with yourself first before you link your life to someone else's. Anna the Banana, Anna Anna said, the author. <laughs> that was so funny um, that the author, you know, that's why I decided to ship a couple because the author tells me to. And Kim Kim Stink LaBabe said their chemistry. So chemistry was a main answer that I got on Instagram. And in my direct messages, Cam Keller said, I'd say I'm similar, and she means similar to me, in my major ships being the first love interest the character comes into contact with, but I also will build similar ships when another character shows a kindness or development that shows they care. I absolutely agree with this. On Twitter, Ruka Samuels said, chemistry plus communication skills. Also less important, but if they're aesthetically pleasing together, that's a bonus. And yeah, I agree with that. I love a couple that looks good together. You can't help it if they just look nice next to each other. It's hard not to ship them. And then also on Twitter, Holly the Grim said, okay, okay, hear me out. I'm really there for it if the ship is a slow burn where they want to be together but can't because the plot says so. It's cute because they care and the drama comes from a source outside the actual ship so it doesn't feel like needless miscommunication. I also love a slow burn um, and I like when the plot's like, nope, y'all aren't going to be together, <laughs> not for a while. Um, Sarah said, I totally agree the best communication and understanding plus saucy chemistry plus how positively they influence each other plus how hot they look together. We already talked about aesthetically pleasing couples, but you guys, how positively they influence each other is super important. Are they influencing each other positively? Now I need to go through all my ships. Are they actually good for each other or do I just want them to be together? I mean, that's really important. So thank you guys so much for responding to my question in such full force. I appreciate it. We are 
reaching the end of the podcast now where I pose a question of the week to you. How many of you guys are using FastPass and how do you feel about it? I asked this question a while back, you know, before FastPass was really taking off. And I was just wondering, do you guys use it? How do you feel about it? And you know, it's an important function of the Webtoon community. And I just want to know how you guys feel. I know when I asked, before that you guys would prefer if I didn't use it so that my theories and the way I feel about episodes, it's fresh for everyone. And of course, I know that it supports Webtoon authors and I want to do that, but there are also many ways to do that. I can always support on Patreon and there are many ways to give. Some people have coffees up and I can buy them a coffee. So let me know, are you using FastPass? Do you wish that I used FastPass so I could talk about episodes in advance or you prefer that I remain unspoiled? How is it going now that it's been quite a few months since FastPass has been around? Are you enjoying it? Just let me know any way you can. That's through Twitter, Instagram, or my Gmail account if you want to do it old school. All of the links, all of the ways to contact me are in the description box of this podcast episode. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. Thank you so much for listening to Girl Wonder. We currently have no sponsors, so here's a joke instead. How does NASA organize a party? They plan it. (laughs) Thank you again for listening. New episodes of Girl Wonder are uploaded on Tuesdays. I'm Joe Rochelle, and we'll talk again next week. Bye.